You are listening to the Healing Migraines Naturally podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Caesar, and I'm helping women all over the country rediscover a migraine-free life. Today, I'm talking to Mary, who runs our awesome Facebook community, about why I don't wear the migraine ribbon. Welcome, Mary. How are you? Hey, we're doing good. How's it going? Good, good. So today, I wanted to talk about why... You will not see me wearing the purple migraine ribbon. Right. Are you just a party pooper? Is that what? Uh-huh. <laughs> You're like, yes, yes, I am. <laughs> so I think this is going to be one of those podcasts, Mary, where you say, oh, you know, we might push some buttons uh, with this one. All right, let's hear it. I It is very interesting. I think about this quite often. Um. Because, you know, I do social media management and stuff. And I mean, there's 20 or 30 different awareness days or months every mm-hmm. month. You know, mm-hmm. it's like we are ribbon wearing fanatics nowadays. Mm-hmm. You know? And then mm-hmm. there's part of me that's like, what does, what does that even accomplish? I don't know. So I'm interested in hearing your thoughts. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, you're right. Even Migraines has a ribbon, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a purple ribbon. And uh, Migraine Awareness Month, because you're right, every chronic condition has to have an awareness month, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's more awareness months than months in the year. So now we got to double up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but Migraine Awareness Month is in June. Okay. And in a lot of the different migraine Facebook groups, you will see them sort of celebrate that month and they'll post uh, purple ribbons and, you know, different, you know, memes or motifs and and things like that, which Mm -hmm. I've never done. Hmm. I've never celebrated in our Facebook group, Healing Migraines Naturally with Leslie Caesar ND. Never posted Mm -hmm. anything with a purple ribbon on it. Never celebrated Migraine Awareness Month in the month of June. Is that because you don't want to celebrate or is it the meaning behind it or? There's a lot behind what's going on with these awareness months and ribbon campaigns for mm-hmm. any health condition, but we'll focus on the migraine condition. Okay. Mm-hmm. First of all, let's talk about the history of the, the purple ribbon for migraines. Mm-hmm. So this was started by the National Headache Foundation in 2012. Okay. So uh, one of the newer ribbons, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. It's about 10 years old now. So who is the National Headache Foundation? Well, you can go to their website, headaches.org. And you can go to uh, the About page, Corporate Leadership Council. Hmm. And when you pull that page up, It says the National Headache Foundation would like to thank our corporate leadership council members for their support of our mission. Mm -hmm. And then we have a list of pharmaceutical companies. Mm Okay. I had a feeling you were going there. (laughs) (laughs) You've been with me long enough to know where this was heading, right? Yes, I did. (laughs) So this is not unique to the National Headache Foundation, All of the sort of national foundations for the different chronic diseases, Mm -hmm. they are, you know, .org type websites, and Mm -hmm. they, they are organizations that are funded by the pharmaceutical industry. Hmm. 
A lot of people in the migraine community follow Move Against Migraine. This is that, you know, there's a website, there's a Facebook group. That organization is funded by the pharmaceutical company. Hmm. So I wonder if they have ulterior motives. Well, there's a worldview at the Mm -hmm. pharmaceutical industry. Mm -hmm. And that worldview is shared by your medical doctor. Mm -hmm. And that worldview is if you have chronic migraines, you can never recover from that. You have a chronic disease that can never be recovered from. And the Mm -hmm. best you can hope for is to manage the symptoms. Right. And why do we have a chronic disease? Well, because we're somehow defective. Mm -hmm. Bad luck, bad genes, runs in the family. We don't, nobody knows why you have this. Unlucky. Yeah. Got the wrong hand in life. And so again, if you believe that you have chronic migraines, or if your doctor believes that you have chronic migraines because you have bad genes or just, you know, unlucky in life, right? Just one day you were walking around and somehow migraines fell out of the sky and attached to your back and you've been carrying this burden ever since. Mm-hmm. Right? Hands, just whims of fate. Right. Right. Your medical doctor believes that to be true. The pharmaceutical industry believes that to be true. And so if that is true, it's very logical to say, well, best you can hope for is to manage it with these medications. Mm -hmm. But what if what you have been told is not true? Mm -hmm. And I think intuitively we know that that is actually not true. That's why we get so frustrated whenever we go into the doctor and they keep handing us prescriptions. Right. Right. But again, the pharmaceutical industry, uh, certainly they have a profit motive mm-hmm. as well. Right. And so all of these different uh, disease foundations are funded by the pharmaceutical industry. They would not exist but for the pharmaceutical industry. Mm. Yeah. And the mission, right? The mission, when you go on the website, let's see here, what's the mission of the National Headache Foundation? Their mission looks to achieve these key goals. Awareness, okay? Increase the public awareness regarding headache disorders and the impact it has on the individual, their families, and society. Mm. Now, certainly there's an impact on individuals, families, and society when somebody has chronic migraines. However, the National Headache Foundation, they're trying to raise awareness from the sense of, well, look at all these people that have, you know, the the whims of fate have stricken down Mm. with migraines. Mm -hmm. It's that type of awareness that they are raising. They're not raising the awareness on the impact that it's having on individuals and family and society that can be remediated. Mm -hmm. It reminds me (laughs) of the little mermaid soul, poor unfortunate souls, right? Like, yeah. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm. Now then the fourth thing that they're doing at the national headache foundation is advocacy representing people living with headache disorders 
in efforts with the public, insurance providers, and governmental agencies. Hmm. Now, again, ultimately, who is that going to benefit? That's going to benefit the pharmaceutical industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if we can get the insurance companies to pay for more meds, then we line our pockets more. Exactly, right? We want the insurance coverage for the meds, and we want the uh, governmental uh, health care programs, Medicaid, Medicare. We want the drugs covered by those agencies as well. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. The third pillar, education serves as the premier resource by providing information to patients, healthcare providers, and the media. Mm. Now, what type of education do they provide to patients, the media, doctors, education regarding the medications? Mm-hmm. And then finally, research. Support research into the potential causes of headache disorders and treatments. Mm-hmm. Again, this is research into, okay, what are the potential causes? We've talked about this in other podcasts. When your medical doctor is talking about the cause of your migraines, when uh, the drug companies are developing drugs to, quote unquote, treat the cause of the migraines, what they're actually talking about are the symptoms of your migraine, not Mm. the cause, but the symptoms. So the research is is the research money is being spent to go deeper and deeper and deeper into the biochemistry and the physiology behind the symptom generation. Right. Which is like we talked about last week, like why are my blood vessels constricting? What like Mm -hmm. what is happening there? But mm-hmm. not necessarily why it's doing it in the first place. Exactly. They're looking at, okay, if they can figure out to an even greater detail the biochemistry that generates the migraine symptom, then they can bring a drug in to alter the biochemistry so the body can't generate the symptom. That's the type of research that they're funding. Mm-hmm. And I know like other agencies that have these awareness months or days or ribbons or whatever, they a lot of people get really upset because that money they raise never actually directly helps any of the sufferers. You know, it it goes straight to the pockets, right? Well, so, you know, um, think of all of the ribbon walks that are out there. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And all of the money that good people have raised, you know, you sign up for the walk, you ask your coworkers to give you, you know, a dollar a mile or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. All of the millions and millions of people that have done this all over the country for decades regarding mm-hmm. different health conditions. Mm-hmm. And yet we are sicker than ever before. Yeah, that's a good point. So maybe all of this money, let's assume that all of the money is being funneled into awareness and advocacy and education and research and not bloated administrative budgets. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let's assume that all of that money is actually going into these four pillars. When you're on the wrong track, you're never going to get to the destination you want to get to. That's true. Yeah. Right. So how much more money is going to be funneled 
into awareness, you know, poor, unfortunate souls, right? Mm -hmm. Advocacy, trying to, you know, quote unquote, advocate that insurance companies and, and governmental programs cover these drugs that are making people worse over time. Check out our other podcasts and trainings on that, you know, why that happens. Educating people on drug solutions, right? Not actual solutions to improve people's health so that they feel better, but just drug solutions. And then the research, billions and billions of dollars of research, is totally going down the wrong track. Mm. That kind of makes your skin crawl a little bit, don't you mm-hmm. think? Right. How mm. many miles do we have to walk? Mm-hmm. How much money has to be raised? And we're getting sicker and sicker and sicker. I have to tell you, one of my pet peeves about the whole thing is the awareness piece. Like, most people are aware that migraines are out there. Most people know that autism is a thing. Most people know that you can get Alzheimer's. Like, there's already awareness. So I never understand, like, maybe I'm just being picky, but, like, what does that actually accomplish? It, right. You're, you're absolutely right. Do we need, what, what, what are we generating awareness to? Exactly. Are we generating awareness on the amazing and miraculous ability that the body has inherently to mm-hmm. heal and recover from chronic conditions, including all the ones you just mentioned? Right. Is that really the awareness that people are receiving? Right. I do want to add the caveat too, though, that I do understand that there are some walks like, you know, pride festivals and stuff that are raising awareness so that people are treated better and they, you know, like suicide goes down and things like that. So like there is a place for those things. It's just in certain conditions, like I don't understand the point of raising more awareness for migraines. We all know they are there. (laughs) Like it doesn't make sense to me. Well, particularly when the awareness that is being raised uh, is filling people with doom, Mm -hmm. dread, Mm -hmm. despair, Mm -hmm. and just false. You're you're telling people that you have a chronic condition Mm -hmm. that you can never recover from. Mm -hmm. And the only hope is to suppress your symptoms and get worse and worse over time. That's the awareness. Mm-hmm. That's what we're walking for. Right. So this is why I do not, in our Facebook group, uh, post the purple ribbon. Mm-hmm. It represents a worldview that is completely false. I know it to be false through my own experience with my own migraines, let alone the hundreds of women that I have helped over the years. Right. Do you think there's a way to like honor people who are suffering in a similar way without it funneling money into false, you know, ideas and without raising awareness to things that don't make sense? Like I do appreciate the idea of, Hey, all of my friends and family are showing up for this walk to support what I'm going through. That part of it I can get behind. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, support is great. But what if it's support for 
something that is going to keep you trapped. Right. And that's what I mean. Like, is I, it would be nice if we could come up with a third alternative, like not supporting in the way that it is now, but in a whole new way that shows the support without the background, <laughs> without the underlining issues, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that'd be nice. But. but, you know, frankly, if everyone realized, and this is not only the case with migraines, but other chronic diseases, you know, what if we had, you know, from childhood, what if when we were kids, we learned the basics around how to maintain our health. Mm -hmm. You know, my mom always says that my daughter knew more about how to be in a state of health by the time she was nine years old than my mom knew well into her adulthood. Agreed. Right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure she probably knows more than me. (laughs) For sure. You know, yeah, I I think my daughter knows more than most adults, Mm -hmm. you know, because when she goes over to, you know, a birthday party or a sleepover or, you know, it's summertime and she's playing on the playground for a long time. When she comes home, she now can tell me what she needs. Hmm. That's cool. And I didn't have any of that knowledge when I was a kid. Mm -mm. Not at all. And so, you know, what if we had, um, you know, again, if we go back to the website and and sort of their four pillars, you know, what if we had awareness around what is health? What does health look like? What does it mean to be in a state of health? What if we had that kind of awareness? Mm -hmm. What if we had advocacy uh, for people who are suffering with a chronic condition? What if we had advocacy that actually encouraged them, motivated them, gave them hope that Mm -hmm. if they took action, they could feel better. I would like to see advocacy for insurance and that to be more open to alternative. Like, why is it that we only are willing to pay insurance will only pay for things that are considered traditional medicine, you know? Like right. it's it's a miracle if you get chiropractic care that covered. Mm-hmm. It's really hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What if we only needed insurance coverage for catastrophic illnesses? Mm. Because we people weren't so sick. That'd be nice. Yeah. Right. You know, one of one of the biggest expenses is diabetes care. Mm. You know. Uh, Before someone becomes diabetic, uh, you can clearly see the metabolic changes on standard blood work. Mm. And with relatively easy uh, changes in habits, those markers can be reversed pretty easily. Mm. Um, People don't have to become diabetic. Right. But how many people are going into the doctor... And being told they're pre-diabetic, they're given minimal advice, minimal encouragement. By the time they become diabetic, oh, well, you have diabetes. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to have a walk next month about diabetes. Here's your <laughs> metformin. Oh here's your insulin. And they're never told. I, I don't know how many people I run into. They think that uh, diabetes is not reversible. 
Right. That just sounds so dooming. Like, oh, you're diabetic. Yeah. Right. One of the, one of the most common health conditions, one of the most expensive health conditions, and a health condition that causes a lot of suffering, pain and suffering for people. It really bothers me that it's such an American culture thing, too. Like, why is it that our culture is so unhealthy? And I know other cultures you hear are not, you know, we don't, they don't struggle with obesity to the same level. They don't, you know, it really bothers me. Like, why can't we do better? Well, I think it comes down to this fundamental false belief that we have culturally. Mm-hmm. that we have our chronic health conditions just because bad luck, bad genetics, bad kismet. And this is not the case. You know, it reminds me of, I, I'm sure you're familiar with the concept of learned helplessness. Mm-hmm. Where mm-hmm. The experiment they did, I believe it was puppies. Is that right? Where they shocked puppies over and over and over again. And those puppies no longer moved away from the shock. This was a long time ago. I don't think it would be ethical at this point, but yeah, those puppies just learned to lay there and do nothing because their sense of control was taken away from them. And they didn't even believe anymore that they could get away from the shock. Yeah. I feel like that's how a lot of society is nowadays. Like I don't even believe that I can lose weight. So I'm not going to try. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not I don't even believe I can get rid of migraines, so I'm not going to try. Yeah. And I think you raise a good analogy here. And again, I'm getting a little uh, on my soapbox here, not Mm -hmm. because I'm criticizing people, not because I'm judging people. I was told the same thing. Mm -hmm. This is what we have been told when your doctor went through medical school. Mm-hmm. This is what she was told too, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, learned helplessness. Helplessness. Yeah, we learned it because we were told it over and over and over again. Exactly. It's almost like the shock and the the belief systems that we've been given are the same thing, right? Instead right. of a shock, we've just mm-hmm. been told this over and over again, and then the behavior when we go into the doctor. The behavior of the doctor is, here's a prescription. So people say, well, I guess, you know, uh, I guess if this were something that uh, could be prevented or could be turned around, I guess my doctor would have told me that. How could, you know, how could they not have if that were the case? So again, the way that we are being treated when we go into the doctor reinforces this false belief. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we have, we have learned this for sure, for Mm -hmm. sure. And I think up until just maybe the last two or three years, (laughs) because some major events happened, doctors were one of the few people that like almost automatically got trust from us. Does that make sense? Like, right. Without even thinking, we put doctors in this place of trust not saying all doctors are bad or good or they don't deserve the trust, but I think habitually we're just like, oh, yeah, I can trust my doctor, you know? Right. Well, if you can't trust your doctor, uh, I mean, it's terrifying, right? When we go into the doctor, 
we are very vulnerable, right? Mm -hmm. We're vulnerable mentally and emotionally because we have to go in there and we have to say, you know, I'm not feeling good, Mm -hmm. right? We have to be vulnerable in that way. We kind of have to let our, you know, let the facade down, right? Mm -hmm. And admit that there's a problem. And then, you know, you're sitting there in the exam room in that gown, you're physically vulnerable too. Mm -hmm. quite literally during the physical exam. So there's a big vulnerability there when you go into the doctor's office and you Mm -hmm. want to trust that person. You're, I mean, you, your life is in their hands. Yep. Yep, absolutely. But like I say, we're putting our trust in institutions that are operating with a false belief. Mm -hmm. They're operating under a false paradigm of health and disease. Mm -hmm. And like we've said before, we don't, we love doctors. We don't fault them. It's the same system that they've been taught as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about before, uh, doctors take an oath, right? So I, I took the naturopathic doctor oath, uh, when I was awarded my doctorate in naturopathic medicine, very, you know, meaningful day in my life. Medical doctors take an oath too. Pharmaceutical industry does not take an oath. That's scary. That's very scary. Yeah. And the pharmaceutical industry contributes the most lobbying money Mm -hmm. at the state level and at the national level to our politicians of both parties. Mm -hmm. So uh, when you look at the lobbying money, campaign contributions, the pharmaceutical industry is way ahead of the oil and gas industry. It is way ahead, orders of magnitude ahead of any other industry. Mm. And the pharmaceutical industry, there's no other industry that has been hit time and time again with fines Mm -hmm. because they have lied to the FDA to the Mm -hmm. public, to the medical doctors that are prescribing the drugs. Mm -hmm. Every 10 years, we've got a big scandal with a pharmaceutical Mm -hmm. company paying out billions and billions of dollars of fines because they knew that the medication that they had developed was causing serious harm to people, and they did not reveal that when they knew about it. Mm -hmm. I think in the whole COVID crisis thing, too, that was like, the first time in my life that I ever saw such a strong like reaction to the FDA and doctors and things that like, Oh wait, these people don't necessarily have our best interests at heart. Like the first really deep critical thinking about it that I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, it was critical thinking. It wasn't always logical. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're right. The past two and a half years have been a real eye opener for a lot of Americans, for sure, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. around the influence of the pharmaceutical industry and the influence they have over the governmental agencies that are supposed to have oversight over them and Mm -hmm. are supposed to be there to protect the public from the conflict of interest that is naturally generated, right? You always have conflicts of interest in various Mm -hmm. industries, but we are supposed to have oversight over those industries so that the conflict of interest doesn't cause harm, right? 
And so people think of the automobile industry. Oh, you know, they knew the airbag. You know, again, this happens in the automotive industry, right? The, oh, they knew the airbag wasn't functioning properly, but they, you know, they didn't want to spend 10 cents you know, to get it fixed and, you know, and so on. You see those fines within the automotive industry. You see these types of things within uh, various industries. There's no industry that has more of this going on than the pharmaceutical industry. They don't take an oath to do no harm. I kind of wonder, like, it really would be really awesome if we had a do no harm oath in like the pharmaceutical industry, but also with research. Like I do a little bit of research on a psychology in psychology here and there, but like there are ethics that we're supposed to follow, you know? Right. But it would be really interesting to see what would happen in research if they had an oath like that. Yeah. Well, you know, as we're recording this, um, a month or two ago, the news broke that the research in uh, in Alzheimer's that claimed that the uh, amyloid plaques were contributing to Alzheimer's, that was just falsified. That came out just a few months ago, that that research was just completely falsified. And all of the medication for Alzheimer's subsequent to that falsified research was targeting these amyloid plaques, right? So then the drugs are developed to target something that was falsified. And listening to doctors talking about this, uh, the medical community started sort of becoming aware that the drugs weren't doing anything, and yet they were still being recommended, right? So, you know, we've, we're putting our bodies on the line with this stuff. Yeah. And you have researchers falsifying you know, outright fraud. You have pharmaceutical companies hiding data, suppressing data, not being honest with the FDA. We have a revolving door for decades. You know, the head of the FDA, they do their term and then they get on the board of a pharmaceutical company. And then another person who was on a board of a pharmaceutical company becomes the head of the FDA. I mean, it's this revolving door between Mm -hmm. the regulatory agencies and the industry, and this happens in other industries too, besides the pharmaceutical industry, but it's very prominent in the pharmaceutical industry. And we are taking something literally into our body. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, the, the level of trust and betrayal mm-hmm. that is going on here. It's hard for people to even process. It's hard for people, you know, when you start to talk about this type of thing, a lot of people, a lot of times people get angry. Angry at the messenger, you know, angry at me. Because it's just so painful Mm. to think that we have been duped by this industry over and over and over again. Right. And it's just, I guess it would be so much easier to just be like, oh, Dr. Leslie is a quack. (laughs) Than it is to rearrange your entire thought process and belief around this situation. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, what I would like to see is, and this is what we're doing with this podcast. We are uh, educating people. We're raising awareness. 
we are advocating that people make the shift mentally that your body can heal and recover from literally any chronic condition, certainly from chronic migraines and chronic headaches. And the reason why we're experiencing the migraines and the head pain is because we're not in a state of health. And if we restore our health, we're not going to be experiencing these symptoms. Our body is not going to generate these symptoms. And there are three things that we have to do to restore and maintain our health. Um, I call these the three principles. So the first principle is we have to get the nutrients to every cell in the body. Second principle is we have to clear metabolic waste material. And the third principle is we have to restore our resiliency and vitality. And when we work within these three principles, these are the things that have to be in place for the body to be in a state of health. When we work within these three principles, the body starts to respond because every living system on the planet has a health restoring mechanism, has a healing ability. Mm -hmm. Why would we be any different? Yeah. Ecosystems can return to a state of health. That's true. Why can't we? Do you think that people think that just because we're so complicated? Like, like our bodies are so com complex compared to others. I don't know. Well. I just wonder where that idea comes from. You know, in the West, there has always been a tradition of medicine that is geared towards restoring the health. Um, in the West, we've had sort of two tracks of medicine. Mm -hmm. And one track has been geared towards restoring health. And the other track has been geared towards suppressing symptoms and surgeries. So we have always had sort of two tracks when it comes to healthcare in the West. And this goes back to the Greeks. Mm -hmm. What has happened fairly recently within the past uh 200 years or so is that the track around suppressing symptoms has become, you know, the, the giant elephant sucking mm -hmm. up all the oxygen in the room. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we have been steeped in, right? Uh, going back 200 years, you know, I mean, we don't know any of our relatives from 200 years ago, mm -hmm. right? They've never had, we've never had a conversation with them. We don't have any experience from people that used to live in the other track. Mm -hmm. We used to have in this country, we used to have hospitals. There used to be allopathic hospitals and there used to be homeopathic hospitals, naturopathic hospitals. We used to have two separate hospital systems. Hmm. We don't have that anymore. I think it just because we've um, accepted it as a society, it's like we've taken away half of our options. Correct. We don't even realize that there's another option. Mm -hmm. We don't have any memory of that other option. You have other cultures where the medicine has always been on the health restoration track. Mm -hmm. 
So like the native medicine of India, Ayurveda, that system of medicine is entirely focused on restoring the health. Traditional Chinese medicine, that's a system of medicine that is focused totally on restoring health Mm -hmm. as a way of alleviating the symptoms. Because again, if we're in a state of health, the body doesn't generate the symptoms. But in the West, going back to the Greeks, we've had these two medical systems. And one has gotten way too big, way too big for the room. When it sounds to me, honestly, like that is partly because of politics and money. Like really, when it boils down to it, yes. the, mm-hmm. the, the power, it's like, I keep thinking about David and Goliath, you know, like the power has been with the money and the the politics. So, of course, that's the one that grew, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in February, um, I'm doing a Healing Migraines Naturally retreat at the beautiful mm-hmm. Miraval Resort in Tucson, Arizona. Everybody listening is invited to come. We'll have a link uh, in the description here. And I'm just going to throw this in here. If you haven't Googled this place and obviously look up the information for the retreat, but if you really want to be tempted, Google it. <laughs> the place. Uh-huh. It's a wonderful <laughs> resort. It's a bucket oh, list resort, pretty. truly. <laughs> but as part of the program, I'm going to be showing a documentary uh, movie um, made by Dr. Rick Kirchner, who's a New York Times bestselling author, uh, around how our system of medicine got overtaken by this track that focuses on suppressing the symptoms instead of restoring the health. So just one of, one of the things we're going to be doing during the retreat, but it's a, it's a great movie. So we're going to be screening that movie at the retreat. Um, And it's, I think it's going to be an eye opener for people to learn that this system of medicine that is so dominant right now, just a few hundred years ago did not have the dominance that it had. And people actually did have, a real choice as to which track they wanted to go down when they were sick. And by the 1850s, the American public was not choosing the allopathic path Mm. because they knew that they were being poisoned by these suppressive drugs that were being used. Mm. And uh, this is when the American Medical Association was created to combat the public's growing dissatisfaction with allopathic medicine. And they did, as you say, they did use money and influence and uh, politicians and so on to promote their system of medicine and, Mm. and uh, degrade and, you know, disparage the other system of medicine. That's a health supporting system of medicine. Yeah. But this is our legacy in the West. We think of Western medicine as allopathic medicine, the medicine that uses drugs to suppress symptoms. But we have a we we do have a wonderful history in the West of health supporting medicine. In this day and age, though, people people don't know about it. There's there's the awareness. It's just kind of that whole the loud, you know, the squeaky wheel. If you you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they're a little bit louder. They're a little bit more. I mean. You never will see a commercial for natural healing. (laughs) 
Yeah. And th- this is the other thing that I've talked about on the podcast, too, that gets me on the soapbox. Look, the, the quote unquote natural medicine industry is a multi-billion dollar industry, too. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, most people in the quote unquote natural medicine industry are using natural substances like drugs. They're not using things to help people restore their health. This is where you're taking the butter burr and, you know, the, the mm-hmm. migraine supplements and stuff like that. You're using a natural substance just like a drug. And that doesn't work either. But right. even people in the natural medicine industry use natural substances like drugs because we are so steeped in this mindset that you fight the symptom. Right. Right. I got to fight the migraine with the butter burr. You don't fight things. You, you restore the health, right? This is, this is, uh, unfortunately in the natural medicine industry, most practitioners don't understand this distinction. Yeah. So, so many paradigm shifts there. So many mm -hmm. times. Oh wait, we're not fighting. We're restoring. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's why you won't find me with a purple ribbon. (laughs) I was just going to finish up with saying, okay, so if we're going to stop wearing our purple ribbons and no one is obviously, you know, forced to stop that, what can our listeners do instead? What's a better use of their time and energy and focus? You want to surround yourself with people who believe in where you want to go. You want to surround yourself with people that actually believe you can restore your health and feel better and stop getting migraines. This is why we started this podcast. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many women I have spoken to over the past six months. You know, we started the podcast in January, really Mm -hmm. started gaining steam in the spring. It's Mm -hmm. been about six months now where it's really gained steam. I cannot tell you how many women I have talked to on a free console call, reaching out to me, uh, inquiring to work with me because they've been listening to the podcast. I just, I just spoke with a woman, uh, this morning. She said, you know, I found your podcast and listening to your podcast, it really resonated with me. And I've already started making some of the changes that you've talked about on this podcast. And already my migraines have decreased. They've gone from 20 a month to 15 a month. That's exciting. Right? Yeah. That's a 25% improvement. Listening to a podcast where somebody actually believes you can restore your health and stop getting migraines. Mm. Now, when we hang, right? What do we tell our kids, right? Mind who you're hanging out with. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Where are we spending our time? Are we spending time on a train taking us to a city we don't want to go to? Or are we spending time on on a train to the destination of our dreams? Mm. Love it. I think, again, uh, intuitively we know. If I just could figure out what was wrong here, what, you know, what just isn't quite lined up here. If I could just figure out the real cause of what's going on here and acted on that information, I know I would feel better. Intuitively, we know that. Mm -hmm. 
And so if if somebody is going to go against what you intuitively know to be correct, get off the train. (laughs) Don't, yeah. Don't just jump. We don't. <laughs> right. I mean, this this is not the train you want to be on. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, so many people reach out to me because they, you know, and I, I was the same way. I kept going into my doctor thinking that doctors help you figure out what's wrong and help you fix it so you feel better. And I, I couldn't believe I kept getting prescriptions. I was legitimately surprised. I, I didn't understand. Right? If you have reached the point where you realize your medical doctor has nothing for you but medication and intuitively you know this is not the right train to be on, get off the train. Yeah, and you know what? We're right here ready to support you. Exactly, exactly. You've got good people in your corner, especially with Dr. Lesser. (laughs) So very good, Mary. What do you think? think we covered it? Oh, I think we did. That was interesting. I often think about these awareness things and ribbons and all of that. And I think really taking a critical eye at it for a minute was really helpful. Mm-hmm. Next time you see one of these foundations, you know, they'll have a representative from one of these uh, disease foundations, you know, on the Today Show or, you know, local news channel uh, you'll hear about these different disease walks. You'll hear about these, you know, disease foundations. Go on the website and look at the funding. I never would have thought to do that, to be completely honest. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When it's a foundation and like you had mentioned, the .org and stuff like that, it gives you that feeling of, oh, they have no t- ulterior motives. They're for the people. They're <laughs> Yeah, they're just trying to help, right? They're just trying to help poor people with migraines, right? Yep, so true. Mm -hmm. All right, well, very good, Mary. Thanks again. Yep, we'll see you guys next time. Well, wonderful, and thanks everybody for listening. And before you go, be sure to like this episode and subscribe to this podcast. Um, And please, if you have somebody in your life who's suffering from chronic migraines, please share this information with them. Who could benefit from this information that we talked about today. Please share that on your social media or share it with your friends and loved ones who've been praying for this information. And if you want to stay connected with Mary and I, please join our free Facebook group. We have nearly 12,000 women who are rediscovering a migraine-free life naturally. You can go to Healing Migraines Naturally with Leslie Caesar ND in the search box on Facebook. Or you can go to healingmigrainesnaturally.com and we will redirect you there. 